Let's now read our text, which is Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers 24, verses 1 through 19. Numbers 24, the verses 1 through 19. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow down from his buckets, and his seeds shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces, and pierce them through with arrows. He crouched to lay down like a lion, and like a lioness who will rouse him up. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, I will speak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes are opened, the oracle of him who hears the word of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing, is doing valiantly, and... One from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. So far, our 
text for this morning. And the focus of the sermon is mostly upon the very last part. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, for many centuries already, the New Testament has used, the New Testament church has used the four weeks of Advent to emphasize not only the birth of the Lord Jesus, but also the coming of our Lord and Savior for a second time. When we will find him not in the manger in Bethlehem, but on the clouds of heaven. Because that is the Advent, the coming upon we, the New Testament church, of the Lord Jesus Christ are waiting. We expect it, we long for it, just as the Old Testament church was waiting and longing for his first coming. All throughout the Old Testament, we can find prophecies that speak about not only the first, but also the second coming of the Lord Jesus. What we need to know and have to keep in mind is that those Old Testament prophecies about our Lord and Savior's second coming often do so kind of indirectly. What I mean with this is that some of those Old Testament prophecies point to more than one fulfillment. Often there is an, an earlier fulfillment and a later a fuller fulfillment. And even, as is the case in our text of this morning, it points to a final and complete fulfillment much later. The difficulty with those prophecies is that those multiple fulfillments are often described as one event. And when that happens, we call it prophetic perspective. It is very much like if we drive west, and then from a great distance, we see the white mountaintops appear, and we say, oh, I see the mountains already, which is true enough. But what we cannot see is that the mountains we see at that moment are often not, the first mountains we encounter when we drive closer. The mountains we see from such great distance are the higher ones, rising up behind the lower mountains we, we see first. We will get to first. The higher mountains are still very many miles away. It is the same way with the last and the greatest fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, they overshadow the earlier ones. And it seems that the earlier ones and the later fulfillments are blended together as one event. A good example of this you have in that sermon that the Lord Jesus preached in Matthew 24. Then he speaks, in Matthew 24, he speaks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the and, and the, the things that will happen at the end of the times. 
And he speaks about it as if it is one event. It's hard to keep it really apart. What belongs to the destruction of Jerusalem and what does not. Well, that's the case also with our text of this morning. Balaam's prophecy, God's word through Balaam about a star and a scepter rising from Israel. And I will preach this to you under the team. Balaam prophesies about the victory of the ruler who will rise from Israel. And then Balaam does so, he prophesies in spite of Balak's plan, that's the first thing we see, and then secondly, according to God's plan. So first that Balaam prophesies about the victory of the ruler that will rise from Israel in spite of Balak's plan. Now Balak was the king of the Moabites and his name, Balak, means devastator. You can just imagine that in order to receive such a name, Balak must have been a very strong, cold-blooded, cruel ruler. But as cold-blooded and as strong as he was, in our passage we find him downright terrified, devastated. Why was that? Well, we read it in our scripture reading. He had witnessed that the people, what the people had done to the Amorites and how they had completely destroyed them. And, and, and how they had taken possession of the land of the Amorites. And he realized not only that the people of Israel were many, and that he could not possibly make war against them with any hope of, good, of a good outcome, but that there was something special about those Israelites. In Balak's mind, there was something really mysterious about them. Now earlier the people of Israel had promised that they would not make war with the Moabites. And they had promised to pay for the food that they would eat while they were passing through the territory. But Balak was afraid for them and he was just convinced that by the time that Israel had moved on, there would be no food left for the Moabite people themselves. And that's why we read in chapter 22, verse 4, that the Moabites said, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the fields. So what now? Well, King Balak remembered that far away in the east, close to Babylon, there was a great sorcerer by the name of Balaam. And he had heard that Balaam's curses always came to pass. And so he decided that if he would have any chance to defeat those Israelites, then this man was what he needed. And so King, Balaam, King Balak sent a delegation to Balaam and to ask him to come to Moab and to curse Israel. Balak was well aware that the God of Israel was very powerful and that he had blessed Israel and had given them victory over the Amorites. 
And so, now somehow, Balaam was supposed to undo the Lord's blessing with his sorcery. And you just can see it. Behind Balak, the devastator's plan, we can see the plan of the great devastator, Satan, who always opposes God and who always seeks the devastation of God's people. God had chosen the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be his people. To be the people from which he would bring forth the Messiah who would crush Satan's head. The Messiah who would be a blessing to all the people. And so all throughout the Old Testament we can read about Satan's attempt to prevent the coming of the Messiah. It began already in Cain's murder of Abel. in the total corruption of man before the flood. We can see it in Isaac's preference of Esau over Jacob. We can see it in the sinfulness of Jacob's sons and in the attempts of the Egyptian pharaohs to kill all the boys of the Israelites. Also in the sinfulness and the stiff-neckedness of the people of Israel during the journey through the desert towards the promised land. And here... When the people of Israel is all, are almost in the promised land, there is the devastator again attempting to destroy Israel before it is able to enter the promised land. This time by the sorcery of Balaam. In our scripture reading, we have read how Balaam had come to Balak. Lured by the promise of riches, he had gone along with Balak's second delegation to the country of Moab. But God had appeared to Balaam and had told him to only speak the messages that the Lord would put in his mouth. And Balaam in turn had told Balak that this would be exactly what he would do. Balaam was convinced after all that had happened that his life depended upon it. Balak, however, in blind fear and hatred for the Lord's people, persists. And now he stands together with Balaam upon a mountain, a mountain which was called Bemoth Baal, it means high place of Baal. And from there, Balaam was able to see a part of Israel's camp. Sacrifices have been made by King Balak, but Balaam, speaking the message of God, ends up telling Balak that he cannot curse those whom God has not cursed. And, and, and he tells Balak that he wishes that his own end, his own, his own final destination would be like that of the people of the Lord, of the people of Israel. So another place was found, this time a place from which Balaam could see a little bit more of Israel. But also this time 
There is no curse coming out of Balaam's mouth. To the increasing frustration of Balak, instead of cursing Israel, Balaam wants Balak that God's faithful, that God is faithful and that God will not break the promises that he made to his people. And that therefore no sorcery of divination will work against Israel. But Satan, and therefore also Balak, the two devastators, do not give up. And for a third time, a place is found. Sacrifices are made again. And from this place, Balak and Balaam were able to see the whole Israelite camp. There, far below them, stretches out the camp of the Israelites, nicely ordered tribe by tribe, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. At peace, no threat at all to the Moabites. And Balaam, discerning that the Lord was pleased by blessing Israel, did stand, did not look for omens, for signs. He did not perform the acts of sorceries he normally would in order to have the spirits answering him. And then something happened to Balaam that had never happened before to him. Before Balaam had spoken the messages God had given him. But now we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Balaam. That's the difference. And in this way, Balaam, the sorcerer, becomes the immediate mouthpiece of the Lord. He becomes a prophet of the Lord. He becomes the instrument through whom God himself is going to speak. And God is going to speak. But not to Balak, but to his people Israel, they're far below Balaam, they're in the valley. And Balak, who should have been warned, and who should have given up his attempt to hurt the people of the Lord, and should have accepted the peace they had offered him, now has to listen to what we well may call the Lord's love song towards his people. And also the curse upon his people's adversaries. We read it in chapter 24, the verses 5 through 9. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your encampments the Lord has planted. Like, like cedar trees beside the waters. Like gardens beside the rivers. Like aloes the Lord has planted. And, and so it went on. And then the Lord closes his love song with the words, Blessed are those who bless you. And cursed are those who curse you. So Balak, smart up. Make peace with the Lord and with his people. Don't you see that you're on your way to total destruction? But no, Balak doesn't see this. Sin is blind, brothers and sisters. It still is. Also today. People blinded by their hatred for the Lord and for his people 
are not able to discern that the Lord's people are blessed by the Lord, that they are under His protection, and that those who harm them or try to are under His curse. They can't see it, but it doesn't make it less true. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed by the Lord. We are His. We are precious to Him, just as the people of Israel in the time of Balak. And so, how impossible is it for the enemies of the Lord's people to prevail? How would these devastators be able to curse those whom God is numbering as his own? This event is written in the book of Numbers. And that is the book that begins with the Lord having written down his people by their clans and families, listing any, every one of them by name. These people are his people. They are written by name in his book. Who is able to add or erase anyone from it? Brothers and sisters, we know that Satan's assaults against God and against his people have continued. They are still taking place. And we also know that they will continue to take place until Satan's final deceit on the last day. The great devastator will continue. In our time, you can see that in the fact that by far mo in most countries of the world, the Lord's people are not free to worship the Lord, and in many of them they are persecuted by Satan and his forces. Satan is still very much a devastator. And in countries where there is still freedom of religions like ours, there is a continued effort by him to corrupt the Lord's people, to corrupt us through a thousand temptations, through false teaching, which put the convenience and the self-gratification of people at its center. And those who remain faithful are labeled as fundamentalist Christians. And that is only a little step away from the stamp of religious fanatics, and those are the people that you need to keep your eye on. And, and such assaults will, according to God's word, increase in viciousness and in scope. But just as then in our text, Satan the devastator will not succeed. Yes, many people will fall away from the Christianity as a religion, but over those whom the Lord had chosen and numbered, written in his book, over those whose names are written in his book, his faithfulness and his love song continues. And we can read it throughout the Bible. But just listen. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. And then in the New Testament, the words of our own Savior, because I live, you will live. If anyone loves me, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believes that I came from God. Neither hide nor that, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. Just think about it, brothers and sisters. How is it possible that after so many ages of opposition and vicious attacks, God's people have not been destroyed? How is it possible that in the 24th century, after so many deadly attacks of Satan and the world, we are still here this morning to worship the same God, the Lord God of Israel? Is it not because of His love of his faithfulness, of his almighty power, not Satan, although very powerful, but the Lord and our Lord and Savior rules the world according to God's plan, God's eternal plan. And it will most certainly come to pass in spite of Balak's plan, in spite of Satan, the greater Balak's plan, and we'll see that now in our second point. Balak, the devastator, is being now totally fed up with Balaam. And he sends him home. But Balaam, who still has the Spirit of God upon him, is just unstoppable now. And he tells Balak... That he, that he has told him from the beginning that he would only be able to speak the words the Lord puts in his mouth. And then Balaam gave a final warning to Balak. He said in verse 15 of our text, Come, and I will let you know what these people will do to your people in the latter days. In the last days, we would say. And then in verse 17... Balaam, seeing the tribes of Israel and still very much with the Spirit of God upon him, speaking the very words of God, lifts up his eyes and he gazes far into the future. And then he sees a star coming out of Jacob and a scepter riding out, rising out of Israel. He looks at those people and he sees it happening. But then he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Balaam looks far into the future and he sees a mighty and a glorious king rising from Israel. And that king will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the sons of Seth. That king will also conquer Edom, whose land was called Seir. Balaam saw arise from Israel, first of all, David from Bethlehem, 
who about 400 years later would rule in the promised land and would indeed defeat Moab and Edom. We can read that in 2 Samuel 8. And so David was that first fulfillment of Balaam's vision. David would defeat and subdue them, the enemies of the Lord and his people. But then what about the sons of Seth? Who are the sons of Seth? Well, the name Seth means rebellion. So when Balaam speaks about all the sons of Seth, that's what he said, all the sons of rebellion, he points to all people of all times whom Satan have used and still uses as his instrument to rebel against the Lord and to terrorize and to devastate the Lord's people. Those are the sons of Seth. And so it becomes clear that Balaam, in his vision, he saw David rising out of Israel. But down behind David, he saw an even greater king, even greater fulfillment of his prophecy. And as, and as we all probably know now, Balaam's vision is actually a prophecy about the great son of David, about the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Balaam in the vision saw far past David's time, some 600 years past David's time. And then it was the fullness of time. And in that fullness of time, there from Israel a king arose whose glory would have no end. And this, brothers and sisters, brings us to the manger in the stable of Bethlehem. There lies indeed the great king of Israel. And what did this king do? Well, later Isaiah would lay that out, he would prophesy about that. This king would did not shout or cry out in the streets, as normally kings would have done for them. And this king was not a warrior king, but he was called the Prince of Peace. This king was gentle. He did not break a bruised reed. He was patient. He did not snuff out a smoking wick. And in faithfulness, he would bring forth justice. This king would come to Jerusalem righteous, having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey. This king would serve his people. This king would die on a cross in order to reconcile his people with God. And in this way, he, this king would bind Satan so that many who were in the control of Satan would be set free by the gospel of salvation. And yes, it is true. A king dying on a cross that doesn't sound so glorious, so star-like. But still, Balaam correctly saw Jesus rising from Israel with great, with star-like glory. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter out of Israel. And in Revelation 22, verse 16, 
we read that this king said, I am the root of the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And we brothers and sisters know that this king is also our king. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and now sits at the right hand of God and we know that to him is given all authority and all power in heaven and on earth and that he does rule the world. Oh, surely a star have risen out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel. But Balaam's vision enabled him to gaze very far into the future. His gaze went beyond us here this morning. And so he saw already the, the great and the final victory of this king as he comes again to crush the skulls of all the sons of Sheth, the sons of rebellion, and to, as we read in verse 19, also to destroy the survivors of the city. What's that all about? The survivors of the city. What does it mean? Let me try to explain. We read from Cain in Genesis 4 verse 17 that he built a city and named it after his son Enoch. And by this, by doing this, he rejected God's promise that God would protect him. Remember? When God confronted Cain about him murdering Abel, then he said, everybody who, who will find me will kill me. And the Lord says, no, I will put my mark upon you. And whoever kills Cain will be seven times revenged. But Cain didn't think that was enough. And he went off to the east. And he built himself a city. Where in togetherness with others, he would provide the safety he so craved. A city where he will live for himself, make a name for himself, and be a law unto himself. You see, cities in the earlier Old Testament times had a negative connotation, and maybe they should still have. With the building of the Tower of Babel, the man said to each other, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower and let us make a name for ourselves. And they did so in defiance of God. And after the language was confused and they were scattered, they continued to build cities with the same idea behind it. And they named the cities after themselves. And within its walls, they counseled together against God and against his rule. And under his God's people, there's Abraham, and he lived in tents. The shepherd in Canaan, looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. But Lot moved to the city of Sodom, the city of man. You see, cities of man, such as the city of Babel, Sodom, Gomorrah, Tyrus and Sidon, Nineveh, Babylon, Susa, Athens, Rome, 
There were places where men ruled and sin prevailed with all its devastating results. Even the city of Jerusalem. Such cities were places where people lived for themselves, sought protection by themselves, sought freedom to be away from God and to seek their own glory. And in our text, Balaam foresees that this great starlight king of rising from Israel will destroy those survivors of the city, the survivors of men who conspire together against God and against his people. He who sits in heaven shall laugh over them. And in this way, God used Balaam to prophesy of the final and the great victory of Israel's great king. His victory over all his and his people's enemies. Satan, the great devastator's head, will be crushed. And all the sons of rebellion and the survivors of the city will be thrown in the lake that burns with, with fire and sulfur. And now a question, brothers and sisters. Why was it that the Lord gave Balaam this vision with those multiple fulfillments that we just read about? And for the answer to that question, we need to turn to 1 Peter 1. And in the verses 10 to 12, the Apostle Peter writes that the prophet who spoke of the salvation to come, when Christ would be revealed, searched with the greatest care about the time and the circumstances of their prophecies, but it was revealed to them, to these prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but us who believe the gospel. That's what Peter tells us there. And Balaam certainly served us this morning. How well, in his vision, he saw a star and a scepter rising from Israel, and it was fulfilled first in David, God kept his word, and then was further fulfilled in the coming of the great son of David, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God kept his word. God always keeps his word. And therefore, Balaam's vision will most certainly come to its final and fullest fulfillment. Our Lord and Savior will return, for God will keep his word. That's the value of those prophecies with multiple fulfillments. Fulfilled, fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, it's true. We live in a world that most Christians are oppressed, persecuted. Many of them are tormented and killed. We, we live in a society in which the great majority of people have become city dwellers. People who live for themselves, had a law to themselves, have become increasingly against the Lord and against His people. They are people that are without God and without hope in the world. They seek their fulfillment in the possession of many things. From Monday to Friday, they 
they, they work hard and they live in the hope of a better and a more satisfying weekend of freedom, of pleasure, of self-gratification. Then Monday comes again and the pleasures have been short. Often leave behind the pain of disappointment. The quest for freedom has brought them only bondage to greed and immorality. And depression has become the number one mental illness among young as well as old people. But brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not allow all this to have his influence on you. Do not yourself, do not allow yourself to be taken captive within the walls of the city of man. You don't need to be. It's true, we, we, we can see all kinds of negative things around us. But we, dare, but we are not doomed to join the world in this hopelessness. We live in the time of the great advent, the, the time of the coming of our star-like king. We do have hope. Great things are about to happen. Our Lord promised it. Even so, when you see these things happen, straighten up, lift up your head, for you know that the kingdom of God is near. We may, according to the promise, straighten up and lift up our heads and so walk in our world, for we have hope. Our salvation is near. Balaam in the face of Balak the devastator prophesied about the victory of the glorious ruler who has risen from Israel and who will crush the head of the great devastator Satan and destroy all his and our enemies. From far he saw the born savior and so in a way Balaam celebrated Christmas but it didn't affect him personally. For he did not desire this king to be his king, and so we read in Numbers 31, verse 8, that he was slain and died together with the enemies of the Lord and of, his, and of the Lord's people. And what a warning is that? In a few weeks, many people will celebrate Christmas, and many of them do not want Jesus as their king. And may God forbid that would count for any one of us here. Everything happened and will happen according to God's plan. The star and the scepter Balaam saw rising from Israel has come. And he will come again in glory to take us to himself. And then we who were living here in this world as strangers and as exiles will find what we have looked forward to, namely the city that has foundations and whose designer and builder is God. We will see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven with streets of golds and gates of pearls, the city of God. And so we, the Lord's people, await that future with great expectations, with unwavering hope and with deep longing. Amen.